0: Sound design. And I hope that you find a lot of drummers have the same sort of outlook that I do, in that, hey, we're all in this together. It's not about how my drums sound. It's about how my drums sound in the mix with everything else. Sound design. Five, eight, seven, six. We have main engine start. Four, three, two, one. One.
1: Sound Design Lives produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Sound Design Live, the home of the world's best online training and sound system tuning for live sound engineers guaranteed to improve your confidence and consistency and get you more freelance work. I'm Nathan Lively and today I have something a bit different for you. I have five short interviews with five different drummers all about controlling sound level in small rooms. So I was out in California in January visiting some students and coaching clients and on the drive back from a gig in Moraga Hill I got into a pretty intense discussion with Tim about the show from hell. So on this show that Tim worked on, basically everything went wrong that could go wrong on a show. And a lot of it made sense to us. This thing happened for that reason, and that thing happened for this reason, and this is what I'll do next time so it doesn't happen again. But there's one thing that we couldn't figure out. What to do about the drums. So, The audience was complaining that it was too loud. Normally, this would be a pretty easy fix. You turn it down, right? at the console or wherever, but in this situation and in a lot of situations like this in small rooms, if you turn down the PA, then it basically sounds like a drum solo. Okay, so they asked the drummer to play quieter, bring down his level. That didn't work. They could have tried a drum shield or a drum booth if they had one, but that would have kind of ruined the lighting and scenic effects that they have. And those are really important to the client. So they're kind of out of options. So Tim and I were talking about this for a while. We were kind of running around in circles, trying to think of ideas. And finally I said, we gotta get to the bottom of this. So what I have for you today is a collection of some of the best insights into this question of how sound engineers and drummers can work together to deliver better results for our clients and our audiences so let's start with some introductions.
2: I'm Gogo Ray, currently drumming for the Paul Nelson Band and Cassie Joy
3: from The Voice. My name is Jason Willer. I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. I've been a a touring and professional drummer since I was a teenager, since I was about 16. I play drums with uh, Jello Biafra from... uh, formerly from the Dead Kennedys.
0: My name is Jonathan Ullman. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I've been a session player for about five years and been playing in bands pretty much for over 20.
4: My name is Russ Gold. I'm a pro drummer. I've been playing for about 40 years professionally. Um, I live in South San Francisco, California. I play a
5: lot of theater. I've played uh, Rent, Jersey Boys, Wicked. This is Zill Fessler. I play uh, drums. In Philadelphia, locally with uh, a few bands called uh, Pawn Shop Roses and Dead Flowers. And uh, also play nationally with uh, band Rusted Root. Is it true what they say about drummers?
4: Depends
2: on what they say.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Everything is true and nothing is true.
5: (laughs) A true Zen statement. (laughs) Everything they say is true. (laughs) Unless they're saying something good.
1: What is something that you feel like you have control over that you can do every time you play to really help create
2: great live drum sounds at every show? I always bring my own mics. I'm a huge fan of the Sennheiser E900 series. Okay. You have your drums, you have your cymbals. Yes, that's part of your sound. But also, the microphones are part of your sound. So at least be consistent with that. Have your sound wherever you go.
1: Also, if you're using in your monitors or whatever your monitor situation is, I'm sure that gives you a more consistent
2: sound there as well. Definitely. Now, you're going to laugh about this. Um, Before I started using in-ear monitors, I would just tell the monitor guy to cut the big wedge off. You know how they like to give drummers half a PA? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I would just tell them to cut it off. Just because, you know, there, there's so many things you can put in there, and to me, that's bleeding through your drum mics. Yep. And this way, it helps you play to the sound of the stage, the volume of the stage. I have four condenser mics on the kit, so two overheads, one for the hat, one for underneath the ride cymbal, and then I use uh, the 904s for toms and on floor toms. I use the 902, which is a kick drum mic, because um, the attack is going to come from the stick, but you get a little more umph from having that kick drum mic on the on um, foretone. Okay. Then I use the 901, which is the flat kick drum mic, inside the kick drum, and I also use a 902 outside of the kick drum, and then the 905s on the snares. And to me, that's a consistent sound. Most of those come with
1: mounting hardware, or are you using those with stands?
2: They come with uh, mounting hardware, so pretty much clips. And I try to keep a lot of stands away from the drum kit just to give it a cleaner look. Mm -hmm. So the mics are clipped to the snare, rack toms, and floor toms. And then we have stands for the overheads, which I put them behind me instead of in front. I fly them from behind, and I put the uh, hi-hat mic on a stand. And then, of course, there's this little device I use on the kick
3: drum to keep the mic there. And it just gives you a cleaner look. It Sometimes... Equipment choices are kind of overlooked, or people don't have the finances. So personally, I, I, I've the only thing I've really invested in my whole life are vinyl records and drums, and I really try to put a lot of time into tuning and spending money on heads and research and figuring out <clears throat> what I can do to uh, to make my drums sound more pleasurable to the ears and to be able to fit the style of music I'm playing. And then, as you know, every room sounds totally different depending on, you know, the construct and um, whatever, the, if it's wood or concrete or whatever, you know, uh, materials are, are used to make the room what it is and make it sound what it does. So it's there's so many factors involved, but I do my best to try to uh, bring moon gels or I guess what I'm using now are these little... Uh, uh true tones they're called, which are just little dampeners that just kind of make your drums kind of pre-EQ'd. I play Peisty cymbals, which are I'm very fortunate to do and endorse. So um they're definitely like, you know, a lot more pleasurable than than a B eight alloy. So they're not gonna be uh so brash to the audience. Um so personally I play rock music. So I play usually the venues I play are are going to be accompanying my sound. So I've never personally I think one time in like winter tour Switzerland. Switzerland has a decibel law. You can't you can't exceed a certain decibel level. And I think I was probably I had probably a lot less control over my instrument in the early 2000s when I was, you know, a lot crustier and spikier and punker than I am right now. I was probably just beating the shit out of drums. Um, not really concerned about what I was doing, more concerned about, you know, drinking beer and getting a cute girl after or something. I, I think I was producing like by myself, like 106 decibels or something, which I think 100, something like that. 100 was like the limit. And I think the sound person was telling me to hit quieter, which, as you probably know, is it's like somebody who's not trained to be quiet doesn't know what the hell that means you know you have to really work to learn how to play quiet if you're not already a jazz person if I guess if you're a jazz person you have to work to learn how to play loud so it's basically like the two extremes right and be able to mit- meet in the middle or to be able to just tell a drummer can you please be quiet or or play a little quieter it's it's not really going to happen because you have adrenaline and emotions and and all these other th- other factors that kind of fit in plus they don't know what is happening out in front of house, because uh, they're in the back anyway, <laughs> doing the hard work, you know.
0: I guess the first thing I do is sort of get a good idea of the venue once I get there, sort of walk around and see what the sound is like, just from an acoustics uh, standpoint. And then I make a beeline over to the front of house and meet the sound <laughs> the sound engineer, because this is going to be my best friend for the foreseeable future of the evening and sort of go over what my setup is, what kind of music the band is going to be playing. One of the interesting things is, you know, oftentimes we end up using a a house, front of house engineer. So they know the venue very well, but they may not know what, you know, the band is all about. So Mm -hmm. it's my job to kind of introduce the environment that they're about to be getting into um, and I think it's a great place to start with the drummer because that's the hardest thing to mic for you know for the setup mm-hmm. um, so if they get a better idea about me uh, how um, I'm completely open my mi- you know open-minded to what they have to do or what they've been using in the venue I like to use their expertise they know that room better than I do and then we kind of hash it out throughout the rest of the point of getting sounds for the evening. So can you give me
1: an example of what part of that conversation might look like? Are there some key questions that you like to ask or pieces of information you like to share? Like, you know, I have a 40-inch kick and it needs this specific microphone. Any specific details like that that you found to be helpful?
0: I think one of the big things that uh, conversation-wise with with the engineer is you know what kind of style how what are my dynamics as a drummer you know it's pretty easy to know if I'm a basher if I hit really hard do you know, I hit really soft and especially during you know the sound check portion is that you know to make sure that I hit during sound check exactly the way that I'm going to hit during the show so you know I'm pretty open book with regards to that I usually leave the miking scenario up to them uh, just for the fact that they know what they're doing with regards to that to that room, uh, whether they use you know a a d one twelve or uh, a beta um, you know that goes inside the mic. it's you know, it all depends on what they feel comfortable with. A lot of times they're kind of handcuffed with whatever the venue miking uh, assortment they have. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of go over how many people are in the band because that's sort of, uh, implies that if if there's a lot of people on stage, then the drums tend to, you know, start losing mics, you know, as as more people are going to be um, performing for the night. So generally speaking, I think you can get a good enough sound with four to five mics: kick, snare, the toms, and then maybe uh, another mic somewhere else. But you know, generally speaking, overheads can tend to be sort of an as-needed um, situation, but I think mainly the conversation is letting the live sound engineer know that um, you know I'm open-minded to whatever they want to do. This is this is the sound of the evening. the The drums play a major part in these tracks, or they're more of backing you know, background, you know, in the mix kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I go up on stage and I tune my drums to try and find something that doesn't distract from what the audience is going to hear. So I try to make my drums sound very straightforward across the board. The toms don't usually ring all that much. I don't play a lot of jazz, so I don't need to play, you know, have the toms uh, tuned very high. So, you know, I try to try to give my kit the most warmth it can have. Mm -hmm. And then if I really want tone and and all that stuff, that's what I'll find, you know, I'll work with an engineer in the studio for that. But live, you don't really need to hear like the specifics of why these drums sound so good. You just need to, they just need to be amplified to a point where they fit well in the mix of whatever else is being amplified for the evening. Mm -hmm. I make sure that
4: the drums sound good to me. Um, I go in with the mindset that once I'm happy with the way the drums sound, then I don't have a lot of control over what goes out over the system, but I know I've done everything I can for me to sound happy with the way this stuff sounds. And and usually that's enough. Um, The other thing, uh, when I when I'm setting up and getting ready for the gig, I try to buddy up with the sound man as much as I can. I know he's busy, and, but I try to make sure that we have a really good working relationship, that we're comfortable with each other, and there's a mutual respect there, because I, I need to feel like, you know, that he's paying attention, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. that, and that I can ask him for stuff, and that I feel confident that, um, that I can get it if I need it. That really my goal on every gig is to have my instrument be instrument to be transparent to me, mm-hmm. so that it, it really I don't think about the drums at all. I just think about the overall picture and and trying to make music and and try to kind of transcend the moment and and lift everything up. And if I'm focusing on the instrument, then you know obviously it takes me out of that. That's I really like the way you say that because that's ex- almost exactly what sound engineers
1: want too. We kind of like try to figure out all the technical problems ahead of time so that during the event, we can really right. kind of be in the moment and focus. And I guess, I guess that's what everyone wants. I think so. Um, well, Russ, you talked about buddying up with the sound engineer, having a conversation with them. Could you kind of give me an example of what that sounds like? What are some of the questions you like to ask to kind of just make sure you're on the same page?
4: Well, I kind of stay out of the guy's way and don't ask a lot of questions. Um, Uh, you know, a lot of guys want to talk shop and go over mics and stuff like that, and I've done that in the past, and I feel like you're opening up a a can of worms sometimes. Um, I'd rather not distract the guy. I know there's a lot going on. Oftentimes, I'll ask if I can help by by connecting things or running cables or whatever. Generally... It's it's rare that someone will accept help from me, and especially on the bigger gigs, because they've got guys to do that, and they've got their system, and I don't want to mess up their their flow as well. But just to let them know that I'm on their side, and I know it's not a lot of a lot of musicians going in are very oppositional to the sound people. I've seen some really bad behavior by some musicians with the sound people, and I think that's ridiculous. You know, they're they're your conduit to get the sound out to people, so if, if you don't have a comfortable relationship, then you're kinda of screwed. I agree, give me an example of bad behavior. Uh, well, there's a, a bass player that I've played with who of course I'll go nameless, although he was kinda maybe overstepping his, his thing by not talking to the bass player first before doing it, but he, I think he probably plugged a cable into the, the, uh, the line level out of his amp, without asking the bass player first to do that, and, and the guy just completely blew up, the bass player, oh, wow. and shouted at the sound man and really belittled him and made a big scene, and I, I thought it was kind of insane. I mean, that's the purpose of that output is to <laughs> yeah. accept a quarter-inch plug, and it's not like you know, you're doing brain surgery on the guy's amplifier. You're just
5: Well, it, it's really different depending on the venue. Um, if I'm playing, uh, you know, a smaller place, um, one thing I like to do a lot of times is if I can get someone else to kind of play the drum kit and I can walk around the room a little bit and kind of hear how the room is, uh, reacting to my equipment. Uh, cause sometimes I'll notice, uh, in those scenarios that, uh, the cymbals are really abrasive or something and maybe I shouldn't be, you know, crashing on the cymbals a whole lot all night long, because it's going to really wear on the audience's ears. When you start getting into into using sound engineers and, and stuff like that, it starts to become more in, in their hands. Um, but again, I think the best advice is to just try to see if you can hear the room um, from someplace other than right behind the drum kit.
1: That's really interesting. Um, yeah. And I think really breaks one of the biggest problems that I've noticed, which is that I think it's really hard for anyone to have an experience of what their instrument sounds like besides, you know, being right in front of it. Yeah.
5: Yeah, it makes a big difference.
1: Thinking about all of the sound engineers that you've worked with on all these shows what do you think is the most important thing that they do to help you get
2: great live drum sounds at every show man some of the greatest sound guys they just know how to dial it in they they understand the way you play they capture your personality behind the drums so you know meaning that they're just not gonna throw gates on you from the get-go they're not just gonna start adding low end to the kick drum all of a sudden you know they they take the time to listen to what's going on and they understand how you are as a player how you play as a player and they just tailor it to that and that's been some of the best experiences
1: sounds like it's a lot of being transparent so just letting the work that you're already doing come through um, but also syncing up with what you're trying to do and you know amplifying
2: it in a good way exactly exactly and you know once again it didn't hurt me to bring my own mics. some sound guys would go wow you never see a drummer with quality microphones and they just kind of understood that you you took this seriously and you know knowing how to tune your drums that helps as well mm-hmm. and i i think i just made it easy for them oh and you're gonna love this part as far as um The monitor, I started using the inner system back in 2016, and all I would put through there is just a little bit of guitar. I didn't need to hear bass. (laughs)
0: Sure.
2: (laughs) And I didn't need to hear any drums in my ears because I'm behind the drum kit. I can feel what I'm doing. Plus, I don't crank my ears up. Mm -hmm. I still keep it to a level where I can hear the room. And the guitar I'm referring to would be an acoustic guitar. That's all I wanted to hear, just for the attack. That's really
1: interesting. I think you kind of have a unique approach. I have only ever, I think, worked with one other drummer who said, you know what, I don't I don't need a monitor because I'm really close to everyone and I can hear my own instrument. That's like the only time that's ever happened to me.
2: There you go. And that was true for me for a while. When uh, Whenever I was playing with this one group, we would be opening act and I would just tell the monitor guys, like, man, don't bother setting up a wedge. We're opening... We're close to each other. Don't worry about it. We're going to hit this 45-minute set, and as soon as we hit the last note, <laughs> drums are going off the stage. Mm-hmm.
3: And they appreciated
2: that. Yeah. Plus, once again, I have my own mics. They
3: appreciated that. Lately, I've been fortunate enough to, that we have our own front of house that comes with us on the bus and, and travels. And that, to me, is the most important thing. Uh, I know that that's kind of a luxury for for a lot of up and coming bands, they don't have the funds to be able to pay someone, or aren't fortunate enough to know a sound engineer that will that will be able to just travel with them. To me, that's probably one of the most important things um, for front of house is to have our own sound engineer. And I think communication, like real clear communications, probably probably one of the f- first and foremost
0: important things in a venue. Generally speaking, the drums can be heard whether they're mic'd or not, so now it's just a matter of amplifying them so that it's pleasant for the audience to hear, and it fits well in an overall mix for the evening. Um, but I think for the front of house engineer, one of the big things, and, and you can really find who's really professional and really knows what they're doing, is the, the engineer will speak to the drummer, is, mm-hmm. is, is say, oh, who's the drummer for the evening? you know let's let's go over our setup for the for the night and that just shows that they're ingrained in making the evening sound really really nice and they want to know all the information they have because once the show starts we can't really have that conversation mm-hmm. so you know having the um having the conversation about what my setup is what kind of sound I'm going for and another thing that's really great is letting is when the engineer lets the drummer set up the drums prior to setting up the mics you hmm. oftentimes find that if there's a rush or or the you know things are running behind is as the drummer setting up the drums the engineer is also trying to mic it at the same time and like get you know kind of kill two birds with one stone but you find that the drummer's going to hit naturally when they're sitting behind a kit that feels natural to them so let the drummer set up the kit first and then say okay is this mic going to be in your way how hard how high do you raise your hands when you're um playing on the ride cymbal or the crash you know where's your swing uh pendulum and that way i can i can place the mics uh so that nothing gets hit Mm -hmm. in the you know in the meantime so i think you know working one uh you know one-on-one with the drummer, at least for a few minutes, really goes a long way to making the night go smoothly. Um, and the other thing is an engineer that knows the room really well and can say to the drummer, you know, hey, this is the reason I use this mic's placement or this mic setup. You know, we do a lot of these sh- these types of shows here, so um, this is what worked really well. Like, I'm not going to argue with that. You, you know, it's just like going into a, a studio situation and say you know you tell me what's best sounding in this room mm-hmm. and and I'm going to go with that um and then another thing will be like how uh micing placement um gets set up with you know the stage plot you know oftentimes you get um bleed from other instruments so like you know close micing plays a big part so you know but if there's going to be overheads you know does that interfere with you know, the guitar amps coming in. Usually smaller venues have smaller stages, and um, this all gets taken into account. So I just feel like there's a trust factor right from the beginning, and you can really embrace that when the drummer and the engineer have just a few minutes to discuss, find out each other's sort of, um, you know, positive positive moments in the beginning of the night Mm -hmm. uh, in that way moving forward to making the night a success for everybody involved
4: but in terms of of how a sound check really should be should be run and in terms of the relationship with the sound man but me personally you know i'm playing an acoustic instrument and especially if i've got in-ears it's really hard to communicate with a sound man. For me, it's really hard to communicate. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of a soundtrack, there's a lot going on. It's kind of stressful. It can be kind of stressful. There's, everybody's trying to get their sound happening. And it's sometimes really hard to campaign for what you want mm-hmm. as a drummer. Uh, you don't have a, I don't have a vocal mic in front of me, so it's hard for me to communicate i just i I don't want to sound like a whiny bitch when i'm asking for stuff and and it's hard to it's just a stressful situation, so sure. I think that that you can end up being being a little harsh with people because of the volume and the stressful situation and the mm, chaos of right. it so it kind of speaks to i think what the next question you're going to ask me is is kind of how to how to make, you know, really what I want from a sound man in terms of setting stuff up is a really orderly sound check Mm -hmm. where you start with the drums, you get a really good drum sound, and then you have people raise their hand, who wants drums in the monitor? And then you go on to the bass player, get his sound. Everybody raise their hand, okay, who wants bass in their monitor? Then you go on to the guitarist, get his sound. Who wants guitar in their monitor? Everybody raises their hand. That's the way to do a sound check. And if you don't have an orderly sound check, it's going to be people are going to be pissed. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 might be that if the people are inexperienced, they're not going to know how to ask for what they want. They won't even know what they want. but all they all they're going to know is they're pissed. and and <laughs> yeah. they don't you know, you know sure. what I mean? And you know you're you're in you know, breakdown. You're assuming a lot that somebody that plays guitar or or drummer or whatever, that they have enough technical know-how to understand what's going on in a sound check and how to ask for what they want and mm. then how to adjust their mix so that they're comfortable. And you know how that goes, that you can have like a 10% difference in a bass drum sound in in a mix and it completely changes the emotional experience of what you're getting back from sure. from the band. So um, it, it's hard to to go from... Uh, I want this to be a really exciting experience. To all of a sudden, I feel like shit about what's going on here, and I don't know how to fix it. And all I know is this sucks. <laughs> sure. And the sound man is sucks because suddenly my world sucks. So I think that the 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 more orderly the sound check in the beginning, that you know people can can conceptualize what's happening in an orderly way. Okay, there's the drums, here's the drum sound. Are you happy with the drum sound? Okay, here's the guitar, ding, 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 ding. Okay, now everybody, you're gonna add guitar to your mix. Are you happy with the way the guitar sounds? Now we'll go to the next thing and people can, you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. As opposed to you just throw everybody up there and you kind of get everything happening and then you run through a tune and people are supposed to get a good mix going with everything happening all at once. And there's really no way that's gonna work. Well, with a band that's not super seasoned and doesn't have it all dialed in.
1: Although I often like to do thrown together sound checks where if I have everything worked out technically, like I've already done a line check, I can just say, everyone just go up on stage. You guys get to do what you like to do, which is play. I get to do what I like to do, which is work on the sound and the sound reinforcement. Let me know if you need anything in the monitors that might work with what you mentioned, seasoned players or people that you're used to working with and you do that often. But I can understand how that could introduce a lot of chaos if you're working with people that you don't know or aren't seasoned players because they don't even know kind of what's available to them. They don't know if they're hearing reflections from the room or if they're hearing stuff from their monitor. And so I can see why a more step-by-step approach where you're saying, this is the sound, now it's in your monitor. Is that... Going to help you? Is that going to hurt you? Are you happy with this? Could really help people
4: kind of understand what is available to them from the technology. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you think a little bit of the psychology of it, um, you know, I've done a lot of theater and a lot of many musicians with a lot of moving parts and a lot of music and complicated and stressful situations. And the stronger and more organized the leader is, the more relaxed everybody else is. Regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the thing you're working with, if somebody if you know that somebody else is calling the shots and there's somebody that's in control and and if you need something, you know who you're going to talk to, everybody relaxes a little bit and and I think it goes much better. So I think even if you default, if you've got guys that are really season pros, if you default to okay, we're going to do it this way. It's going to be organized, and everybody's going to get what they want. I think everybody's going to
5: relax. Some sound engineers just like to have the band play and they start tweaking the sound while the whole band is playing. While you know, whereas others will break down each individual instrument. You know, in, in the case of a drummer, you you run through the kick drum until you get it sounding good, and then you run through the snare drum and and you know, just like that, until you get through the whole kit. I found that that works better, I believe, because you're taking the taking the extra time to get the, the instruments sounding good individually and then um, putting them all together and getting them good to sound together.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, I also think it's important for sound engineers to have um, microphones that are suitable for what they're micing. So, you know, in other words, if um, you're putting in some sort of cheap microphone into the kick drum well it's gonna not do any justice for the sound it's not going to pick up the instrument the way you want it Um, I mean in general it's uh, I think everything should start at the source Um, the drummer or any musician should start with a a good instrument Um, if you're if you're playing something that doesn't sound good uh, from the beginning, then it's just, you're just making it worse as you amplify it. I'm an artist for a local drum company called uh, Skip Back Drums, okay. and they, they make awesome drums, and, and I'm I'm fortunate to be able to play these, because right from the beginning, right, you know, before there's any microphones or, or even a drum head on the drums, these are already good instruments, and then when I go and I put, you know, good heads on there and take the time to tune it, okay, well, at that time now it's sounding good right from the beginning so then when the sound engineer comes in and places his mics on it and runs it through a PA system it's just making it better it's just it's amplifying something that's already good
1: It sound engineer can I have more control to lower the drum volume if I need to bring it up if I need to where who kind of has the responsibility in the end do you kind of understand the situation I'm describing
2: oh definitely the drummer should be able to bring it down and I'm even talking about I played in small rooms where everything was mic but the sound guy ended up using the overheads maybe mm-hmm. and that was it but if the drummer brings it down Hopefully the band will listen to the drummer and bring it down as well. Um, it, it just starts with the drums. I mean, there should be a communication where you know you you could be behind the board and you just kind of give them the signal, "Hey, bring it down, stay at this volume." Mm-hmm. But that drummer should always pay attention to you to make sure that everything is cool, and you can still have a wonderful performance.
1: So, Gogo, if you and I, if you and I are working together. And I know that we're going to be in that situation because I've worked in this place before. What's the best way for me to approach you and say, hey, here's a situation. It's often got out of control in the past. What should I say to you?
2: You could say, hey, this is a listening room. Now, that right there should say, hey, (laughs) people really want to hear. Not at a high volume, a comfortable volume. They want to enjoy this. So you can't go balls out in this room as a drummer. You have to, you kind of have to give it like a a jazz approach, which Mm -hmm. you can still, you can still have the intensity, you know, use dynamics, use them more than ever. Um, Let's say if a verse is at piano, then for that small room, the verse should be a pianissimo, softer than piano. Mm -hmm. So... You just bring it down a notch, and then um, if a you know if a chorus is at forte, then that's going to be at piano. You know, I mean, we all understand that um, some things will get loud, but you have to you have to bring it down. Yep. you just can't go you just can't go balls out. Every room is different, and those smaller rooms, I mean, it's you just got to play those extra careful.
1: I wonder why it, you're making it sound so easy. And I I really appreciate that. (laughs) But I wonder, I'm just trying to wonder why I've had such a problem with this in the past. And I always just assume that I ask drummers to do that. They can't do that. And it seemed like they get into the habit of playing at a certain level in their rehearsals and in their other shows that then once the show starts, they kind of go back into those habits and they can't really like adjust those on the fly. But you're making it sound like, of course, that's totally possible.
2: To me, it is possible. I've been in a lot of situations. You know, of course, I've learned from experience. You know, I definitely tried to go balls out in a small room, and there's so many ways that that can affect you at the end of the evening. Uh, you, could, you could definitely lose your paycheck. You could okay. lose your gig. Oh <laughs> wow! You could make it uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So you, you learn how to play for the situation. You know, and it's not a drag because there's going to be those times where you have to just go all out. Those stages will make themselves available. But those small rooms, um, let's just say those smaller rooms help you get to the bigger places. So you got to win them over. Play the game. Secure the paycheck. Mm-hmm. You're not losing your integrity as a drummer or a musician, period, man. You're not, you're not losing it. You know, just p- play the room. I think that's the best way to describe it. Play the room. Yeah, I really the appreciate that. The only time that. you can get loud in a small room is probably doing a drum solo, and that's pushing it. Because you still want it to be enjoyable.
1: I think if I were to add one thing to your store, besides the hot chocolate mug, it would be a t-shirt that says, play the room.
2: Uh-oh, just <laughs> gave me an idea, which means, <laughs> since you thought of it, I got to cut you in.
3: That's right. Okay. <laughs> Royalties. In my opinion, it's the booker's job to know what, what acts sound like before they bring them into a room. Like, you wouldn't bring Napalm Death into Yoshi's or... High on Fire into Yoshi's right. There's there's certain rooms for certain occasions, and then you wouldn't want to go see you know like Planet X or 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 Steve Smith's jazz band or Dave Weckl's band at, at the Metro. It just wouldn't it just wouldn't work, right? I know I'm just I'm I'm saying these names of the clubs, but the um the, and other people might not know these clubs, but these local you know San Francisco or Oakland clubs. It's kind of the booking agent's job to understand the room and understand the act. Um, before bringing them in so that that we can kind of avoid these types of, uh, these types of issues to tell somebody to have to adjust what they've been performing and practicing for months and months and months to do something differently um, on the fly is, is, is kind of not, it's not really going to happen, especially with the drummer, unless they're, you know, jazz trained, unless they have um, years of experience of like being able to control Um, their technique and not a lot of people have that these days and it's kind of sad to say i mean that being said i mean there is an old tradition of of being able to get out of the way or being able to adjust to the room right like before amplification you have like all these swing bands and like let's say like count basie's swing band and they play in front of like you know anywhere from four thousand to seven thousand people in a room and they're all dancing and there's no amplification, but that drummer somehow is able to like play accordingly. So they're out of the way of the band. So like probably using brushes and other things to not be rude. They didn't weren't able to crash on the one back then. They had to crash on the four, so they'd stay out of the way of the music, but then also be loud enough to be able to make people dance. I mean, you got to think about the skill level that that band had. Pre-amplification be able to rock the house and, and at the same time, like, you know, like serve, serve the music and stay out of each other's way. It's pretty phenomenal to think about. It really boils down to, to communication, in my opinion, like everybody needs to kind of know what they're getting themselves into. And I think that, uh, understand etiquette. I mean, there's so many different types of stage etiquette that, you know, sound included that are just so overlooked these days that people just, there seems to be a lot of confusion, a lot of chaos. And I don't know, I think with proper communication and, and expectation of, you know, in preparation, I think that uh, we could avoid these types of issues pretty easily.
1: I want to ask you about kind of these more difficult situations that we find ourselves in when the booker has kind of made a mistake and they booked a, you know, a band that's maybe too loud for the space. And then um, they also have a drummer that maybe doesn't have the skill to sort of adjust their volume. Cause like they said, like you just said, they've been rehearsing for months and months to do this thing and be able to, you know, perform it in a, in, in a certain way that they can't really adjust it on the fly at that point. Once we're in that
3: situation, is there any hope? I understand that in the heat of the situation, people can get pretty testy on all sides, right? Because the sound engineer is getting the heat from the promoter, and then the the sound engineer tries to talk to the band, and they're all full of adrenaline and testosterone or whatever other hormone or drug, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's like it's hard to kind of get everybody uh, on the same page when there's like, you know, and there's a certain attitude, especially if it's loud rock music. That they, you know, want to portray this kind of "fuck you," and when really they're just kind of making everybody pissed. And the thing that we could do the most is just kind of try to be as prepared for every situation as possible. And the band should know which rooms they're playing in. It is hard for for a band to kind of conform, and I think that we could, as musicians, can can try to uh, practice that um, a little more.
1: Well, I like what you said, Jason, because it's—it sounds like you're saying number one, try not to be in that situation where you feel trapped. Like, book the appropriate artist for the appropriate room, and then also don't expect um, a drum—don't expect all drummers to be able to just on a moment's notice adjust their program level, basically a- adjust their level of, of the stuff that they've been
3: rehearsing. Volume level is a very, very, very difficult thing to uh, to to master, especially when you're. When you're used to playing a certain way, there's a certain kind of comfort you get in playing what in, you know, the realm of velocity that you're used to playing it. Certain, certain jazz drummers or certain rock drummers have been able to master this craft, but most people work day jobs. They don't have the time to sit behind the kit and really analyze what the hell they're doing. They just are stoked to be at the gig and be able to let off some steam, you know, so it's like got to think about things like that as well
0: so in my experience dynamics are the biggest part of making a drummer successful and um being invited back to a venue to play smaller venues obviously require dynamics especially from the drummer to know that okay i can't play the way that i'm I'm normally going to play or i have to use uh a different arsenal of equipment, whether that be um, hot rod sticks or brushes, or more of a, a lighter stick, in order to compensate for the reverberation of the sound going around the around the room. Drums can be heard whether or not they're miked or not. You know, so if if you're in a small room and the drums sound good in the mix with everything else being uh, miked and amplified, then That's sort of the benefit of being able to pull back on one instrument and allow it to find balance with whatever else is on stage. It goes back to having that trust and understanding with the engineer to say, listen, these drums are too loud. Uh, We need to pull them back the engineer can do on his end or her end what they need to do, and on my end, I need to know, like, all right, it's not going to sound good if I'm just blasting away regardless of what else is going on. Finding that middle ground for everything to work out well, I think is is an essential aspect to making the overall sound from the stage and to the audience really nice. So, I think that having that like on my end the dynamics and having the trust that the engineer is going to know, "Alright, I have to pull this the amplification out um from the mix because it's too loud and it's it's kind of stepping on everything else." Then I trust that's what they're going to do.
1: So teach me the best way to approach you if you and I are working together and I know this room has this particular situation, I'm going to come up to you and while we're setting up and say, "Hey Jonathan, this kind of a tough situation in this room. The drums are often too loud because it's so small. And then I kind of lose control. How do I approach you and kind of get you on my side so that, um, and kind of say like, I need you to play quieter.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, for me speaking personally, that conversation is, I I look forward to that conversation because that means I'm going to be doing something that is helpful to everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so if an engineer comes up to me and says, "Listen, this room can get really loud really quickly, and then things can kind of get out of hand," and then I'll do my part to say, "Okay, wh- what have you found that works? Is it a matter of me playing softer? Mm-hmm. Is it a matter of me using, uh, you know, different sticks or anything?" Just let me know. I know these songs well enough that I should be able to play them, you know, in any environment, whether you know, in an arena or in a small, like, coffee shop. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't look at that conversation as a negative thing. I kind of look at it as a, as somebody giving me, uh, like, a cheat sheet before before time, because I don't want anybody to come up to me after and be like, man, the drums were so loud. That's the last thing I want to hear. So if you can give me sort of the cliff note you know, you know, answers, you know, prior to the show beginning, that's gonna be great. I'll adjust as a drummer, I'll adjust as a professional musician to whatever needs to be done. But I'm using you as the expert of that environment to tell me what how, you know, what works best, maybe the drums go in a different location, or something like that. So I I look forward to that. The interesting thing about what I do as a session player is I could be playing, you know, uh, in front of 2,000 people one night and then the next night playing in front of 20 people, my venues, you know, switch across the board from a day-to-day basis. So I do need to know how to evolve and adapt to whatever the environment is, whereas somebody who's on, a, on uh, an arena tour kind of only knows arenas, you know, for an extended period of time. If, if you tried to take that same set and put it in a coffee shop it's not gonna go well. So for me, I have the the added benefit of playing different places every night, drastically different places and drastically different sizes um, so that I've been able to adapt. And I use the, the sound engineer like my most valuable commodity for the mm-hmm.
1: show. Okay. So Jonathan, you mentioned what works best a couple of times. I feel like maybe that's a key phrase that I could use when I approach you and I say, hey, Jonathan, in this room, what works best is if we, you know, keep the drums over here, and also if you can probably play at about seventy-five percent of what you would your normal volume in a, in a larger
0: space. That kind of information is invaluable for me. I mean, that's why I tend to get to uh, venues early and get to meet the sound engineer uh, right off the bat mm-hmm. uh, and and ask those questions. I mean, that information is so vital to making sure the 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 show um, goes goes off without a hitch, or there's no surprises. Because like I said, once the show starts, these kinds of things are mainly on the sound engineer to do whatever they need to do to make it sound okay. So by giving me that information, I can take with it, and then I can go back to the band and say, hey, listen, this is what I need to do. I don't know how that's going to adjust with you. Uh, maybe we can try it at sound check and then have that conversation with the sound engineer to say, hey, listen, how did that sound? What can we do differently? And also take into account that there's nobody in the room. When people come in, does that tend to you know, warm up the sound a little bit You know, because there's more bodies for the sound to reverberate off of? And so all that information is taken into account As soon as the set starts, Mm because for the next, you know, once the set starts, that's all the information that we're using. And we don't want you don't want to have to think about it at that point. You want to, like, look at the sound guy and have him, you know, waving his arms and saying this is too loud you know, you kind of want to look out and, and see that. Usually what I do is on the second song, I kind of look out to the sound person and sort of give a thumbs up, thumbs down. And, you know, then we can kind of go from there. But if I see a thumbs up that's sounding good, you know, they're still making small tweaks to at the soundboard, then I'm then I'm happy and I can focus on the rest of the set.
1: Nice. And Jonathan, you also mentioned sticks. So tell me about sort of what, you have available that i can talk to you about i thought that if you have different sticks i didn't know that i could just ask you and say like hey could you play with rods or can you play with brushes instead because we need a lower volume
0: in this smaller room like is is that something i can request yeah absolutely i usually have uh for any show um i usually have you know my sticks mallets Brushes, uh, hot rods, or you know, you know, some sort of assortment of softer sounding. Uh, sticks that aren't necessarily like wire brushes. What I tend to do is if there's going to be, you know, if I'm playing like the house of blues, it, you know, or something like that, I'll get on stage and I'll, I'll use sticks. They're probably not going to say, Hey, this is too loud. But a lot of times is when you're playing in those small coffee shops, you're playing in a lounge. That's when I say, Hey, listen, this is what I have. Does this help? They may say, no, we tend to you, you know, sticks are fine. But the sound check portion of the evening is, you know, the best time for for these things to kind of be tested out. The one problem with using rods or brushes is it's a completely different engineering of the sound. So it wouldn't work very well if I started out the night with, you know, some sort of rods, and then I noticed that, like, people are really into it, and maybe we could get a little louder and then pull up sticks... Now I've put a lot of pressure on the sound engineer to kind of compensate for the fact that my drums are going to be a lot louder. So I try to avoid that at all costs. Or I say, hey, listen, I'm going to use these, but at some point in the night, if you look over to me and be like, you know what, you can, you can bring, them, bring it up a little bit and use sticks. Maybe play tastefully with the sticks, but you know, you, know, you can use them to get a little more crack. I'll adjust on my end if you want to do that but you know that's all sort of in the communication that you're establishing at the beginning of the night to say mm-hmm. listen you're my eyes and ears out there you know what you know wh- once i'm behind the kid i have no idea it's a completely different sound on stage than it is up there you know that kind of communication is super helpful but i wouldn't i'm not going to be offended if you say hey we found that it works really good if you use it like sort of a rod situation i will be like great that's awesome uh, that's exactly what i'm going to do oh, then. cool do you think I should own some of those? Would that be appropriate for a sound engineer
1: to like carry some rods or like I don't know what the other options are available and have those potentially in case I offer that and someone says, "Oh, I would do that, but I don't have those,"
0: and I can say, "Well,
1: I have some right here."
0: Yeah, I mean that would be you would you would look really professional. I think if you're <laughs> I, I, honestly, the 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 funny thing is is you know having this conversation with you is interesting because in my perspective if you said that to me or you had those i'd be like this is awesome i <laughs> wish i could play this venue every night with this with this with this gentleman who's has all the things that you know we need to make this be a successful evening um but you know then you're going to meet people who are like absolutely not those are the silliest things i've i've ever seen and i'm going to use sticks mm-hmm. in which case you that's already giving you the personality of a musician who doesn't want to adjust and just wants to do what they're going to do anyway. And you're going to come across, you know, both people um, throughout your life. uh, You know, so for me, yes, I'm completely open to anything that makes the show sound good. And that's why I tend to get a lot of gigs or get a lot of callbacks or at least be recommended as, hey, you know what? This drummer was really accommodating and they did everything to make the night a success. Or at least there was this major piece to the instrumentation that I didn't have to worry about, which is the drums, which is always something that people end up having to worry about because it's usually the loudest instrument. So you, yeah. should, have, you should have them, I would say. Um, that's not your responsibility to have them.
1: Jonathan, this is the perfect opportunity for you to plug your sponsors and say, you need to get the Zildjian low-volume cymbal set, and you did not take <laughs> the opportunity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've used them in... Uh, I've definitely used them in situations, and it's pretty awesome to, to have that versatility. But I would say um, I'm very... Very fortunate, and I do not take for granted that I'm endorsed by eight wonderful companies. I use Ludwig drums, uh, Zildjian cymbals, Vic for sticks, Evans drum heads for in-ear monitors. I use Westone in-ear monitors. Um, I use two accessories that I have on the drums. Uh, big fat snare drum, which is fantastic for getting that fat sound you need on the drums. And also use drum tacks, which are a, a great uh, situation to uh, another muffling situation. Drum uh, and tacks. Then to drum tacks. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, in the same vein as moon gels. or And then uh, to c- protect all my stuff, I use uh, protection racket cases. Um, and so I'm very... Very fortunate that these companies support me and what I do. Um, but I would say having a good arsenal of equipment, not to say you have to spend a lot of money, but just as you're going through your career as a drummer, to have an arsenal of equipment that keeps you versatile in lots of different situations. You know, it would be nice to be able to play the same size venue every night with the same sound engineer every single night. But that's not, you know, that's not the case. And you end up having diversity in so many different areas that you need to be prepared for whatever the environment throws at you.
1: Secretly, I was hoping you were gonna come in and say, hey, everybody get the low volume set, problem solved. But it's not, it's not that easy, right? It's like, you need drum, you need an instrument that sounds good and you need to play it in a way that sounds good in the space
0: yeah I, and I think one of the best pieces of advice you know that I could give would be to be a very a drummer that adapts well to um, situations. I think that the more hindered you are about being open to um, trying do new things or or taking suggestions from someone who's an obviously an expert in that room is going to be detrimental. the rest of the evening so i mean what is everybody's overall goal is to make the show sound good so why not play you know your role in in doing what needs to be done on your instrument to make sure that it sounds you know the best it can be um so it's not a personality trait that a lot of people have but as a session musician in order to get you know repeat work With artists, um, you have to be able to um, adapt to whatever the environment and whatever the show calls for. Uh, And so you can't have an ego in this industry and expect to, you know, progress or make friends throughout. And I want the sound person to be my friend for the evening. So Mm -hmm. whatever has to happen. And then at the end of the night, say, hey, you know what? this went really smoothly, and a lot of it was because of you and your honest suggestions at the beginning of the night.
1: I don't know, I have this idea that there's a fear that maybe a performer feels like they won't be able to do what I'm asking, and so then that might also make them feel like saying no.
0: You said, to me, you know, play differently or or take your dynamics down or play with these other instruments in your hand, I would be okay with that just because, uh, you know, that's a a day-to-day thing that I have to do. But for someone who isn't there for you to, you know, say play differently, that is going to make them apprehensive and that may get them to be feel uncomfortable on the drums, mm-hmm. so there is a way to have that conversation without making them be like, "Oh my God, wh- what do I do? I only know how to play these songs this way." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas they can they can still come at it and say, um, "Okay, basically, what I'm telling you to do is this room echoes a lot, even if there's people in here. We got we got concrete." Walls everywhere. The sound bounces quickly, and it can get out of hand very quickly. So, please take into account that when you're playing, and you know, play thoughtfully. I don't want you to change your parts or change how you're playing. Just, just play thoughtfully, and 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 you know, we can we can at least start from there. You know, rather than being like, can you use these different sticks, or can you play at 75 percent? That's I don't know if you golf. It's like t- somebody saying like, take your swing back 75 percent that's going to screw you up on your uh, you know on your follow through because you're only used to taking a full swing mm-hmm. you know what i mean okay. so like so just having you know the conversation to say listen this is the situation of this room how would you adapt if somebody asks you hey can you please talk softer you know <laughs> you know how to yeah. do that like if you're in a library and say hey you're talking too loud you know how to Change the volume of your voice so that you're talking softer to accommodate the acoustics of the room. You should be able to do that on your instrument too.
1: I can start by just kind of describing the problem, describing the situation and not start with adjustments that i'm that I'm asking you to make without even hearing you play
0: exactly and you could have that conversation in the beginning or you could not have that conversation until you hear how sound check's going. And you say, hey, listen, this is what it sounds like out there. Uh, I just want to tell you from an honest opinion, even if we get 50 people in this room, it's not going to change too much. So I can't hear your lead singer. Your guitarist is getting completely blown out, and your bass player is inaudible. So if we come together as, as a group, you and your band discuss how we can make this a little more even, you know, that, that kind of conversation is, you know, would be a, a nice thing to be able to have, but it doesn't often happen that way. Um, but usually it's the drummer that needs to accommodate and sort of find the balance with their instrument to make it match better with the other instrumentation on the stage. But also you may find a, a sound person that's been working <laughs> 10 nights straight and hasn't slept in, in a week, and they really don't care. You know, they just, this is their last day and they finally get a day off tomorrow. That always comes into play too. And that's why it takes, you know, a a smart drummer to be able to make the adjustments independently, knowing how these certain rooms tend to sound. The most effective thing is to put up a shield Mm -hmm. around the
4: drums. Um, No drummer likes that. But if, if that's what you need to do, that's what you need to do. The other thing is, if you've got a good enough relationship with the drummer, to just keep on him. Uh, if the guy's a professional, he won't mind hearing that he's playing too loud. And that's pretty much it, and, and that's all you can do, is communicate with the drummer. Um, it, you know, it, it, And if the guy's a dick, then he's a dick and there's nothing you can do. Okay. okay. The better your relationship is with the musicians, the more you can ask of them without pissing people off, I think. Do you have any more specifics about what
1: works well in a drum shield? Like, does it need to be a certain height? Do I need to have a certain number of panels? Does it need to go all the way around you? Or can I get away with like a shorter one that's just like two panels and will that help too?
4: Well, it all depends on the acoustics and what you're trying to to tamp down. Um, I've seen some situations where they, they've had these small plexiglass shields on boom stands that are just mounted between the microphones and the cymbals. And I think that's frickin' brilliant. Um, I'd like to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Probably the biggest culprits are snare drum and cymbals. Yeah. So if I you agree. can just put a shield that will reflect back the snare drum and the cymbals. And, you know, I, I would also bet that it's the drum sound going into the vocal mics that are also yeah. bad news. So here here's what I would do in, a, in the perfect world. I would have like a gobo that you could put behind the drums that is a super absorbing kind of deal. That'll okay. absorb the reflections from behind the drummer. I think that would probably go... A good sixty, seventy percent to solving the problem right oh, there. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I've
1: seen mobile ones of those. Unfortunately, they're not always cheap. But I bet you could, you
4: know, do your own DIY version. That would exactly. Be or just take a, a plexiglass shield and put um, put put felt on that. Mm, okay. So if if there needs to be a full shield in front of the drums. You know, it's a drag for the audience, but like in theater when I've done shields, what I like to do is put some type of absorbing material up to like eye level so that I don't have the plastic plexiglass thing reflecting that really nasty sound back at me. You could do one side on the
1: bottom all the way up until, you know, it's a sight issue, a sightline issue.
4: Right, or at least up to like maybe cymbal height, so that the, you know the the cymbals reflect back. But I think the, the the damper the sound is to me the better the sound is to my head. Mm-hmm. To there's, there's it's an awful sound the the drums reflecting off that plexiglass shield to me <laughs> it really sucks. Anything anything helps you know. You're just putting the shield between you and the ear holes of whoever's being offended by it that'll that'll help a lot and you know and the closer you have it to the drum the the more of the vector it's gonna tamp down you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i don't know why i didn't think of this before
1: but i have done some tests where you know you take like a piece of pipe or like a cell phone something small and when you're 10 feet away from a speaker it doesn't really block
4: much but right. when
1: you get really close, the closer you get to it, the more it blocks. So yeah, it exactly. makes sense that
4: the closer you can get to it. I've done stuff in the theater where um, I've taken a music stand and put felt on the music stand and put that right next to my drums in between myself and whoever is, is being offended by it. And that's actually worked out really well. Or or put it right next to the person even better so that they they're not getting... All my cymbal wash and everything. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes, really small little barriers can do the trick.
1: What is the best way for me to sort of approach you and say, hey, Russ, here's a situation. Um, you know, we've got this, it's going to be a reverberant small space, and I've got this client that wants to keep the volume low, and I need to be able to balance and mix everyone. Can you help me sort of control the volume in the room? Like, what's the best way for me to approach you about that and
4: to see if you can lower your volume or control your dynamics? I've fucked it up enough to know when it's gonna be a problem, you know? So going into it, I already know where the problem's gonna be. And I don't mind, because as you said in in your, your questionnaire that it's really hard to know what the sound is like in the other end of the room. So, you know, I might be playing at one volume, but it sounds completely different than my experience in the other end of the room. So I'm, I'm fine with having input from people. My kind of policy in, in, in dealing with other people is to be as direct as possible and not try to not offend people. But I mean, not be brusque, but to just be as matter of fact as you can. I found that sometimes the more you try to couch what you're saying and wheedle around, the more start, people start getting tweaky. Mm-hmm. But if you just say, you know, as soon as the gig, you know, as soon as people are setting up, this is a really live room, we need to keep the volume down. In my past experience, has been that the drums are the thing that projects the most in this room, so I'll let you know if it gets too loud. Mm-hmm. And then just let me know if it gets too loud. And not, oh, I'm really sorry. Like, <laughs> you really sound great. And I think it's probably the bass, but I think it'd be good if you played a little softer. Now that's really not useful. I mean, you're, you're, you know, it, it's, it comes off as manipulative a little bit. So if you just say drums are too loud, you know, I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry, but you know, I got to, I got to let you know the drums are too loud out front. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And that's it. And and there's not much you can do if the guy's a dick. Then you know. But, you know, also having said that, <laughs> I'm not the most tactful person in the world. So, you know, take, take my advice with a grain of salt. But I'm imagining that you're thinking of times when people have tried to be nice to
1: you and it's pissed you off, you know, because it, yeah. it can sound like criticism. You're like, you want right, me to exactly. do what?
4: <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, just tell me, tell me what the reality of it is. And I'm going to make a decision about what I'm going to do. You know, if it's the drums are too loud, okay, I I got the drums are too loud, so I'm either going to adjust to that or I'm not. Hopefully, Mm -hmm. I'm not a dick, and I'm going to do what's right for the room. Yeah. You know, but sometimes there will be a vague thing where, oh, the band is too loud, or, you know, people are complaining, they're putting their fingers in their ears or something, but it's it's not specific enough, and if you are vague, then you're not going to affect any change at all. Yep. Yes, you go up to the drummer and say, the drums are too loud up front.
1: Yeah. It's funny to have to, like, take a high-quality instrument and then, like, buy something else to turn it down. But that's probably, I think that's the most common way to do it. you know?
4: Probably what I would rather do is uh, just bring an electronic kit, at least something that I know is going to sound good. It might not be as much fun to play, but, I, you know, I... I mess around a lot with um with superior drummer and sample drums and I know I can get a really good sound. I have never thought about asking that. Is that appropriate for me to say, uh, hey does your drummer have an electronic kit or hey Russ, is it possible for you to use an electronic
1: kit on this show?
4: It depends on the show, but y- yeah, I mean absolutely, it depends on the room. I've played in a band where they do um you know a lot of rock and roll and Using electronic drums is pretty standard issue for small rooms. Um, You know, we're it's like a big '80s kind of rock. You know, you want a really big sound, and you just can't get that playing soft.
1: Mm -hmm. I guess I always thought that electronic
4: kits were, you know, they have sort of derogatory things about. I don't know. They do. (laughs) <laughs> you do. Um,
1: Just doesn't there's, look there's, as manly.
4: <laughs> it doesn't look as manly, and it's not as much fun to play. It's not nearly as musical. But I've I played a church gig for over ten years on what was at the time the the highest end Roland V drum you could get, and I went from hating it to tolerating it to kind of enjoying it. You know, once you get used to it, you know what the limitations of it are, and and it's it you know. It's kind of fun. At least you don't have to think about the sound. You can play. You can hit as hard as you want. And you know it's never going to be too loud. Mm-hmm. And then I, I migrated into using my own sounds uh, with a laptop, and that made it a lot more fun. But, you know, it, it, uh, it depends on the drummer. If, if the drummer's not experienced using an electronic kit, it could really suck, because it's a different oh, yeah. instrument. Okay. It's not like playing a regular acoustic drum set, and if you're not experienced using them, it can really suck. Mm-hmm. It's a different instrument. It's not an acoustic drum set, and, and the approach to playing an electronic kit is different than playing an acoustic kit. Here's something I think is really valuable. Musicians and uh, sound people should have an agreed-upon hand signal for adjusting mixes. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, a vocalist is like, you know, you like make a a hand signal of somebody talking and guitar, keyboard, drums, you know, that so that if I'm trying to get the sound man's attention to do something, that I can make a hand signal to let him know what I need. Yes. You know what I mean? So they're like drumming is obviously you do waving sticks around bass is like, you know, like maybe you're you're acting like you're slapping a bass and guitar is like you're strumming and keyboard obviously is, you know, you're pounding on a keyboard and... Oh, here's the other thing. This is really, I think, separates the really good sound people from people that piss me the hell off. That when you ask for something, when I ask a sound man for something, a, a change in volume, make it small, incremental changes it just pisses me off so bad where i'll ask for a little more keyboard and they end up just killing me with with excess volume <laughs> yeah and it ends up creating more problems that it solves sure so please incremental changes yeah i would rather ask several times for something than ask once and then end up having hearing damage yeah and then get ignored once it happens because I'm suddenly pissed off and, oh, geez, what a dick the drummer is. Yep. Don't want to talk to this guy anymore. Yeah. I mean, what I end up doing is either unplugging the monitor or just turning it around. Because <laughs> okay. I'm, you know, I, I'm old and irritable. I already have tinnitus. Oh, man. So, you know, uh, there's only so much, you know, blasting I can, I can deal with. What I what I would suggest uh, for a really happy drummer, if the guy's using in-ear monitors, to, and this is what I do pretty much um, all the time, is I carry a stereo microphone and set it up, aside from the house m- s- setup, I just set up my own microphone with a mixer and blend that in to the overall mix that I'm getting so I mm. get an actual true organic mix of what's happening with my drums because if, Good idea. if the th- Here's something that the sound people don't understand when it comes to drums and in-ear monitors you can't fucking play drums with in-ear monitors unless everything is miked because 100% of what I'm hearing of me is coming through microphones mm-hmm. so if all I have is like bass drum and snare drum miked or something like that and I'm using in-ear monitors, I can't balance, I can't play n- like a normal human being. I can't balance my sound because I can't hear the toms right. I can't hear the cymbals in a proper balance. I can't hear the overall drum set like an actual instrument. So I've got to either have everything miked or I've got to bring my own mixer and my own micro- my own stereo microphone and have a have like an overhead thing where I have a really good balance of what's going on around on my drums. It, it can't work with just one or two mics. It's got to be all or nothing with, with in-ear mics, I think. If you want to get a really good performance, I mean, if you get a drummer that can't play, then it doesn't matter. <laughs> but if you got it that really is trying to do a really good performance and really can play the, the drums like it, a, an actual musical instrument where everything matters and you're trying to get the nuance and the balance, everything's got to be mic'd and it's got to be mixed properly to the in-ears. You mentioned
1: not having a mic a couple of times now, and I wonder if it would be make communication more successful if I always set up a mic for the drummer and just put it into other people's monitors, and just so we could
4: have a conversation. It's an excellent idea. Um, I've played Jersey Boys, uh, toured with them, and there was always a microphone at the drum set for emergencies. If I need, you know, with a switch on it, Mm -hmm. so that if I needed to speak, I could pick up the mic, turn it on, talk into the microphone, and put it back down again. And it's, I think, important that it has a switch because it's going to fuck up my in-ear sound if that mic is on. You know, if I put it by the floor tom, then, you know, it's going to sound ridiculous. Every time I hit the floor tom, it's going to be, you know, like,
5: crazy. Well, there is no easy solution to that, uh, unfortunately. You You should start out with having a drummer that is able to play to a room. That's a lot easier said than done. It's actually harder to play drums quiet than it is to play them fast and loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, I mean, if you can get someone in your organization who can play drums somewhat quieter, I mean, that's, that's a, a good solution right there. Obviously, the other musicians, they can, they can just turn their volume down <laughs> a lot of times if they're, mm-hmm. if they're using am- amplified instruments. I guess I guess a couple solutions that I've run into besides just having to tone my own volume down you know, use thinner sticks. Don't use something that's so heavy it's gonna gonna make you hit the drum harder. Um, there's also a number of products out there, um, you know, like bundle rods uh, that they make, where it's just kind of like little wooden dowels that are, you know, together into a rod. Or they have these other whip sticks, where you can actually, when you're hitting the drums, you can kind of you can kind of hit them as hard as you do with sticks, but the amount of volume that comes back out. From using those sticks isn't quite as loud.
1: Interesting. And you're comfortable with both of those?
5: Yeah, yeah. I, I find that um, to be easier than playing with sticks and trying to be real quiet. Because drums are loud. You know, there's there's no way around. It. And they're loud. And when you hit them with a with a hard stick, they're going to produce a loud sound. So if you play with something a little softer, it, it's gonna it's gonna control the sound. And it's I think it's going to be easier on everybody. But going back to what I said in the beginning, if the drummer or even the sound engineer can walk around and hear, you know, okay, the cymbals are really abrasive in this room. It's, you know, and they may not be loud. It may just be irritating
2: Mm -hmm. uh,
5: frequency, frequency wise. And if someone can walk around and hear that or tell the drummer, hey, listen, you know, tonight, you know, play more of your beats on the hi-hat. Kind of stay off the cymbals, you know, Mm -hmm. don't don't hit them all the time. You know, because a lot of times the cymbals get into the guitar frequencies too, and it, and it just makes everybody turn up. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, that's what I have found when I have to play in situations quieter.
1: So let's say that we just did part of the sound check. So then I come up to you and I say, "Hey Zil, I was walking around the room during the sound check, and it sounds like not only are the cymbals kind of abrasive, but they're also getting into the vocal mics a lot." And the snare drum is really popping out of the mix, and I'm not really able to turn it down anymore. So, can you help me with that?
5: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I would reach into my uh, into my stick bag and and uh, get get something that's a little lighter. Play play with brushes, maybe uh, if that's possible. And definitely, uh, you know, I would play the cymbals less. Stay on the stay on the toms. <laughs> Don't hit the snare so hard.
1: Wait, where's the part where you tell me to fuck off?
5: <laughs> well I, I haven't been able to stay busy with that kind of attitude <laughs>
1: uh that's interesting so i didn't know about asking f- um i didn't know about just lighter sticks i knew about rods and i knew about brushes but lighter sticks i think is a really good tip and um also i think just talking about the tone maybe and not only the volume is a really good tip i can say cuz a lot of times that that is really it with the symbols is like you know what the volume might actually not be a problem if it wasn't for the harshness so what yeah. can we do about that
5: yeah i mean a lot of times harshness is mistaken for volume you know if something is very mid-rangey and it's bothering your ears you think that it's loud i mean i mean it it's just it's at an it's an irritating frequency so you perceive it as being really loud and irritating mm-hmm. so sometimes you want to work around those frequencies and not not push them in people's faces so much.
1: Where's the best place for people to follow your work online if they want to keep up with what you're doing?
5: Oh,
2: wow. You know, don't hesitate to shoot me a friend request on Facebook. There's also the fan page, which is called Go Go Ray Drum Counselor. And then I have stuff on Instagram, look for Drum Counselor, LinkedIn, which I just started using again. I forgot it existed, but it's been a great place to post some
3: videos, so find Drum Counselor on that. So, I I mean, I am on Facebook and on Instagram, just Jason Willer, just my name. I think Instagram, I'm just Jason M. Willer.
0: I'm at uh, JMU, so Jonathan Matthew Allman, JMU Drums. Uh, I have a website, which is JonathanUlman.com. And then, you know, you can get to all the socials from the website as well. I have a website, uh, RussGolds.com, and I'm on
4: Facebook at Russ Gold. And, um, gosh, I'm, uh, that's about it, I guess. Oh, the, the book is called Phrasing, Advanced Rudiments for Creative Drumming. And, uh, and you can check that out on uh, Amazon and howleonard.com. Uh,
5: best place to find what I'm doing is I have a Facebook page called Drums by Zill, and that that pretty much keeps, uh, I, I keep that updated with gigs that I'm playing and, and photos and, and things that I've, I've done. Sound design.
1: Wow, that was a lot of information, and you made it to the end, so congratulations. I definitely learned a lot by all of the contrasting opinions in today's interview and I took a lot of notes. So if you were driving and you couldn't take notes, don't worry, I wrote them all down for you and you can find them over at sounddesignlive.com. I think my two biggest takeaways from this interview today are number one, everyone wants the same thing, right? Everybody wants to have a great show and get more gigs so they can have more great shows. And number two, although the simplest solution might be for the drummer to play quieter, Not all drummers are gonna be able to change the way they play at a moment's notice. So as sound engineers, we need to have a diverse set of solutions to meet the needs of the player, just like drummers need to be able to adapt to a diverse set of rooms. There were several pieces of great music in today's episode from the drummers that I interviewed, and they are all detailed in the show notes for the episode. Sound Design Live is supported by Bob and Ellis, and you can start supporting the show today for as little as $1 per episode over at patreon.com slash sound design live.
0: No show.
2: Well, man, thanks for a very cool interview. I've never been interviewed like this, you know, for sound purposes. And I, I pride myself on just having a, a certain way to approach it. Because, you know, I, I like to play. I want to continue to play. And playing for the situation allows you to just play forever.